This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Addie. And I'm Tom. And you're listening to Series 9, Episode 19, The Light of Day. And we've got a ton of announcements for you. Remember those days when we had no announcements? Ha, we're making up for it. (laughs) Our first announcement is, if you didn't know, the Kickstarter for Manifest the RPG is live. It's been live for a week now, and we've raised over $11,000, and we're still going. The Kickstarter ends April 1st, and if you want to become part of the Manifest legacy, uh, go and check it out. You can search Manifest the RPG on Kickstarter, or you can go to our website or really any of our social media. We're plugging it everywhere. We'd love to have your support. We'd, we really want to make this game as best as it can be, uh, and we're slowly closing in on our goal, and we want to shoot far past it. So if you haven't backed the project yet, go and check it out. And if you have, uh, now would be the time to share it with all of your friends. Even if most of your friends don't like RPGs, maybe they have other friends who like RPGs. <laughs> uh, any kind of signal boosting you guys can do is great because the more eyes we get on the project, the more likely we are to hit our goal. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's going great so far. And now for an Essential NPCs update, uh, we're down to two in the Series 10 vote bracket. And the winners for the round of four Monster of the Week won out over Pulp Cthulhu, and Blades claimed victory over Fate Core. So the final matchup for what we play in Series 10 is Monster of the Week versus Blades in the Dark. So go vote now. The link is active in the show notes and on Facebook and Twitter and SoundCloud and our website and literally everywhere we could think to put it. And... I want to stress this super hard. Every vote counts. Every race has been so close. So make sure your voice is heard. Uh, We want to play what you want to hear. So go vote. Like literally right now. Pause and go vote. Now that you're done pausing, uh, (laughs) moving on to our next announcement. Post-game chatter questions are due Friday. So do not forget to keep them coming. And thank you to everyone who has already submitted your questions. If you wait until after Friday to submit your post-game chatter question, there's no guarantee that we will be able to answer them on the air. So listen to this episode and then write up some questions, send them our way. You can shoot it to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the contact form on our website, or our email, EssentialNPCsPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, just a couple of more announcements. Hang in there. The Manifest team, a.k.a. Tommy and I, is hosting a Kickstarter Live tomorrow at 9, 8 central. Uh, it'll be a demo of Manifest followed by a Q&A. Uh, and I, I heard it. I heard you guys all say a demo. Why, yes. Um, Sean Four is actually going to uh, join Tommy and I for a short demo of Manifest where Sean and I will be reprising our roles as a much younger Juliet and Cyrus. And then we'll be doing a, a whole Q&A thing. So uh, if you need a little midweek essential NPCs or manifest fix uh this is your chance uh tune in the more viewers we have the bigger we become the more viewers we have so we're relying on you guys to be fans of our podcast and of manifest and show up 
The stream goes live at 8 p.m. tomorrow, Wednesday the 6th. Also, if you need even more insight into Manifest, you should check out the latest episode of the Story Told podcast. Uh, They reached out and recently interviewed Tommy um, as the creator of Manifest. Uh, The interview gives some cool insights into Tommy's creative process and and Manifest in general. So go take a listen. Uh, The link is in the show notes. And I've got one more. And this one's really important to me on like a personal level. I want to give a shout out to Tifa Robles. Uh, She's a gamer maven and author of The Explorers of Azulicent, a young adult fantasy novel with feminist undertones and themes. The novel is about three kick-ass young ladies who follow their own arcs and act as their own protagonists in their own lives. Uh, The novel is on Kickstarter now, and if it speaks to you as it does to me, you should go back it because we need uh, stories like these for everyone one to read uh, and she's just doing a great job so um the link to her kickstarter is also in the show notes uh so go click on it and and see if it inspires you and that's finally all we have for announcements we've read them all uh so as a reminder go and vote uh for series 10 uh monster of the week versus blades of the dark and also share manifest with your friends and family and strangers on the street uh see if we can't get to our funding goal and with that let's move on into words with the gm hello hello gm hello this words with the gm hello is about series 9 episode 18 Life, Liberty, and Vengeance. As we are reaching the end of the Manifest campaign, uh, I wanted to take a moment to address a question that I was asked a lot throughout all of Series 9. People kept asking me what it was like to make my own game, and if I had any advice for people who wanted to create a game of their own. I sat with that question for a while because I didn't feel like I had some secret key trick to get from point A to point B, and it'd be pretty presumptuous to think my process for creating manifests could be applied to everyone else working on their own projects. But I came to realize that sharing my experience could at least help inform other people's processes, so I'm going to take a moment to share in broad strokes how this game came to be over the last handful of years. First thing worth pointing out... While Manifest is the first RPG I've designed, it's not necessarily the first game I've designed. I would spend a lot of my downtime contemplating different board games and card games. And the thing is, basically none of those little games I created before Manifest grew to anything beyond a few rough documents with unpolished rules. Something I could demo with some loose change to represent the game pieces and a piece of paper to draw the game board on. And I think that's the first thing I take away from my experience making Manifest. It didn't necessarily start with Manifest. It started with me exploring my imagination and creativity by trying my hand at designing basic game mechanics. I've never looked at it as though I failed to make a bunch of games because you don't need to publish a game for it to be complete. You just need to feel like it's as developed as you want it to be. And there's little bits of all of those games I created in the DNA of Manifest. And if I had never challenged myself to put pen to paper and create something, I never would have gotten to the point where I started working on Manifest. The next thing in the process that I think was pretty important for me was getting over the notion that the mechanics had to be correct the first time I wrote them out. 
I found out pretty early on that I had to be okay making a bloated, broken system at first because trying to nail it on the first iteration was basically impossible. When I was making Manifest, I started out with the core basic mechanics, and I ran a very small playtest of just those mechanics with my good friend Ryan Covert. And that version of the game has basically been completely reworked to the point where the only similarity is the name of some of the skills and the fact that you roll a bunch of D20s. (laughs) Which leads me to the final thing that I think really helped Manifest get to where it is today. Playtesting. I can't stress this enough. Playtest, playtest, playtest. You don't even need a full system in place to playtest. You can just playtest the parts that you have semi-figured out. Hell, I playtested Manifest for two years before we figured out the character creation and level-up mechanics. I don't even think the playtesters had an inventory to manage until the last year and a half of development. The thing is, so much of what Manifest became is thanks to my friends and colleagues who supported my passion and subjected themselves to a large number of playtest sessions. Their feedback was incredibly helpful, but the truly invaluable thing they gave me was inspiration beyond my own mind. So often they'd ask a question I didn't have the answer to, and in figuring out the answer, we would develop a new part of the game's mechanics or lore together. I guess the short way for me to put this is, don't be afraid to try. If you have even a faint idea for a game, write it down, see where it goes. If it breaks down, fix it. And if you don't want to fix it, take the things that you liked and implement them in a new project. Keep creating, and eventually you'll find something that you want to keep working on and tweaking. And all through the while, surround yourself with people who support what you create and pick their brains shamelessly for ideas and feedback because they can keep you inspired when you start to feel fatigued. I've gotten so much positive support throughout this project and even just in this series of the podcast. And I want to take a moment to thank all of you listening to this for supporting this silly thing I decided to do four years ago. And with that long monologue and the bountiful amount of announcements we had, we are going to skip favorite parts for today and move on in directly to Series 9, Episode 19, The Light of Day. Enjoy! Greetings, I'm Clayton Sawyer. You may not have heard of me, but I'm one of the best bounty hunters in the Badlands. I got a few advantages, you see. First is sugar, Maache, and even though I only found her a few years back, my best friend. She was the runner for a herd and probably couldn't keep up and was cast out, and I know how that feels. So me and her bonded, and she grew up right with me stepping in as her daddy. The second edge I got hunting bounties is that I'm illuminated, and my abilities grant me an advantage that most of the nastiest outlaws ever got bounty can't compete with. The thing about being illuminated is that those same abilities that give me all those powers and advantages are also unsubtle to most folk. They can understand a gun or a knife, but they can't quite figure the threat someone like me might be to them. That's why me and Suge are always moving, hunting, and on to the next bounty, leaving people behind before they can make us get. One day, me and Suge are going to pull in a big bounty, and we'll make enough to settle into our own homestead, where we can be ourselves and ain't nobody going to try to drive us away again. We'll wrestle cattle, do some farming, and live a quiet life on our own little slice of the Badlands. You can call me Pops. Pops Mulligan. I see you're eyeing the preacher's garb. I'll tell you, this trench coat's seen me through more decades than I'd care to admit. 
I'll never forget the day they put it on me when I graduated seminary. My mother, saint that she was, sent me there to get educated. She spent nearly every spur she had, earned each one by the sweat of her brow cutting ice for Liberty City's well-to-do. I always figured I'd inherit the family business, but when I lost this finger to frostbite, she told me, Elliam, I don't want you working with those hands ever again. You're going to become a preacher. Good triptych woman, my mother. She'd have tanned my hide if she'd lived to see me become an undertaker. Still, there's something balanced about working with your hands and your mind in tandem. Helping those near to death pass over, laying them to rest with seeds from the tree of life, and tending to them as their spirit makes the air just a little bit easier to breathe. I've been undertaking in Liberty City since, oh, back before the Battle of Waypoint. Back then I was still a husband and a father. My son grew up to be an executive in the business sector. I never really did understand his job exactly. Buried him just a couple of years back. I aimed to make the man who put him in the ground hurt. I'm rambling, I can tell. <laughs> the trademark of being an old man, he just never seemed to be able to keep quiet. Alana's blessings to your friend. My name is Juliet Hunt, and I've been a drifter nearly my whole life. My parents were killed by bandits when I was far too young. I only survived because a gunslinger named Avery came along and rescued me. Being that I was an orphan, he took me under his wing and taught me to shoot like him, passed on the craft, like a father to a daughter. After Avery died, I drifted alone for a time, until happenstance brought me to Cyrus Finch. He's loud, flashy, full of cockamamie ideas, and occasionally a criminal. And I, I ain't any of those things. We ended up drifting together a long while and gotten to mourn a few situations we never saw coming, including getting hitched. Like all drifters that live past their prime, we eventually hung up our irons and we settled down in a nice little town in the Badlands. Now, I ain't so retired that I won't oblige somebody who's in desperate need of a bullet. And Cyrus has to sate his itch to run a grift from time to time. But by our standards, it's a quiet kind of life. For a long while, it was a pleasant life. Until Cyrus up and disappeared without a word. Now, he ain't the most communicative individual. But I just got this gut feeling that something ain't right. And Avery taught me better than to ignore my gut. So I've closed up shop, took up my irons, and set out drifting again. My Cyrus is out there somewhere, and I'm gonna find him. And when I do, oh boy, he better be in need of saving. Otherwise, he's in trouble. Step right up, folks. Take a gander. Don't shove. You can call me Dr. Cyrus Finch, because that's the name on the medical license. I've got the miracle tonics you need to cure the ailments you don't, all available at a rate you can afford. Trust me. I've crossed every mile of Manifest solving all manner of problems, from gangrene to gang wars. It's almost uncanny how I manage to find trouble every single place I go. But that's what I got my wife for. She's a real pistol, in more ways than one. Any problem I can't solve, she'll, well, she'll put a bullet in it. We're an unlikely pair, certainly, but we fell in love seeking a cure for that age-old plague of Manifest. Drifterism. Maybe I'll even kick the habit myself one day. But until then, I got a two-for-one special on vials of Doc Cyrus's analeptic hoop snake oil elixir. For you, only five spurs. What do you say? 
the last time we left our drifters, they were in the mine of Constance Grove and they fell upon a horrible sight. Over a dozen people chained together as slaves being forced to work in the mine, unbeknownst to the denizens above. Family guards stood over the prisoners and the drifters acted fast to dispatch them and free the captives, some of which were familiar faces, including a boy by the name of Stephen Yang, who worked as a mail carrier for Mayor Nathaniel Valancourt, Eliza Valancourt's uncle. Uh, Stephen was sent down into the mine as a captive because he had discovered Nathaniel Valancourt's dark truth, that he is, in fact, in league with the O'Malley's and complicit with the conditions of the mine and the literal slavery happening below his home. He also implied that he had evidence that Nathaniel Valancourt may have had a hand in the death of Eliza's father. And facing this truth really for the first time, Eliza turned to Juliet and asked to become her apprentice gunslinger. It is still in the morning. Uh, it's a little past 10 a.m., roughly. It's hard to say for sure, given the fact that you are underground. The captives have all uh, have all had their shackles removed, and they are now uh, rummaging through what food stores there were down here for the guards and the captives so that they could satiate their hunger and their thirst. Uh, what do the four of you do? Clayton's gonna go scat out the non-elevator tunnel. Uh, going into the adjacent chamber, uh, which is significantly taller in size than any of the other chambers. According to the captives, uh, this chamber's scaffolding and, and walkways lead all the way up to the mid-level traverse of the mine. It will take you some time to uh, make your way up uh, the several hundred feet of uh, winding scaffolding. But uh, yeah, you can you can make your way up there as everyone else is uh, is tending to whatever other business. What do you guys got? As Mr. Sawyer goes to scout ahead, um, Pops will attend to the bodies in the mine, uh, uh, making the sign of the triangle over them, giving them last right so that they rest easily. Uh, as you kind of put the bodies of the fallen family members to rest, that one uh, woman who Cyrus seemed to recognize kind of walks over to you and watches you uh, saying kind words over these evil men. And she raises an eyebrow and she goes, hell you doing, father? Well, everyone deserves to rest easily. They're not evil anymore. They're either being punished or they're simply dead. Nobody deserves to have their souls trapped in their bodies forever. So whatever is happening to them now, hopefully they can atone for their mistakes. And she shakes her head and she goes, some people don't, don't deserve a chance to atone. You've seen what these, what these folk done you might have to question your faith a little bit. And she uh, spits on the ground and goes to like walk away from you. Overhearing this, I'll send a thought over to to Pops, just letting him know, oh, you know, she used to be a Jimmy for the family. She used to be a hitman, criminal, assassin. She'd want to talk about second chances. Eh, that one's for free. <laughs> Perhaps you've got something to atone for for yourself. And she stops and looks back over you. Uh, narrowing her eyes slightly, and she goes, Do me a favor, Father. We get up there and run into trouble, and I find myself on the wrong end of a bullet. Don't go through these motions over me. You let me stay there, rot like I should. I don't want to see what's on the afterlife. My soul can stay right here. The choice is yours. You've given your express instructions. 
who am I to uh, go against them? But I've watched these bodies pile up around me. I've been party to some of their deaths. It makes me question myself a little bit. But questioning yourself is the first step to improvement, wouldn't you say? At least that's what Alana's found. She kind of half chuckles at that and then points at your shoulder and says, looks like uh, one of your patches has fallen off there. And uh, you look down and you see that uh, a bullet from uh, Larry had kind of grazed your shoulder and cut the stitching of the fake doctor's patch and your undertaker's patch is uh, showing through. And uh, in the in the moment where you kind of look down, she uh, walks away before she asks to confront what you said. I'll uh, I'll rip the rest of the patch off and I'll uh, continue giving last rites. As you do that, a couple of the captives actually come over to you and they're like, Father, if, if it's not too much trouble, and they like hold out little trinkets, mostly like stones, maybe like bits of metal, like a bracelet or a ring. These are the possessions of some folk who died down here working. And well, the guards didn't really give them a proper burial. And least we could do is say something for them. And she, they like kind of lay out the, uh, the possessions in front of you. I'll uh, extend my hands palm downward and say um, may they find the peace and rest that they didn't have in life and uh, I'll make the sign of the triangle over them and say uh, if I may I will uh, take these with me to the surface I'll uh, plant a tree of life for them so that they can at least pass on and peace together and they all respond let it be so let it be so Ah, you hear Clayton in your head <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if anybody needs uh, medical attention, the doctor is in. Plenty of people do. You gotta do. You gotta do a whole lot. Um, how many first aid cubes do you have? I got eight. Okay, uh, you're gonna have to use up three of them to get everyone here, kind of as back on their feet as they can be in their current state. You know, treating minor to major maladies that they've uh, that have been festering here uh, in these conditions. That's a done deal. Hey, Clayton. Yes. Them squeaky things are still here. <laughs> you see through Juliet's vision as you know everyone's kind of like in the like entrance to this this mining uh chamber and she's looking down the hall and at the corner in front of the uh elevator kind of peeking around the corner you see a, a few beady black eyes of of squonks that are just kind of like watching Juliet like Meh. well i reckon we can take them with us too all right um uh... So I ain't so hot with animals. Uh, maybe you could... Uh... I'll come back for him. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen my wife face down the most hardened criminals to find her underground in a mine in a, in a standoff with a puddle of squonks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Clayton, you make it up to the mid-tier traverse. And, you know, the, you reach the roof of this large chamber and, uh, as you kind of like sneak your way into the traverse and come up that tunnel, the, the tunnel that Barbara Hutchins didn't want you to walk down, uh, connecting to this chamber, I'm going to need you to go ahead and roll a sneak test. Well, my highest is a 10. All right. You bend around the corner and you look down and it's still, the hallway is still lit down the way and you can actually see a little ways down the lights around the elevator shaft exit that you exited with Barbara Hutchins when she started her quote unquote tour. And you do not see anyone else in the hallway from this vantage point. Do you continue moving forward? If I don't see or hear anybody, I'll guess I'll go clear it out a little further. Yeah. 
Okay, you make it all the way up to that elevator door. The gate shut, no elevator on the other side because the elevator is still stuck down at the bottom where Cyrus left it. And um, you see the uh, fork in the paths that lead down to the, the Mikano chamber and the, uh, and the Winter's chamber where you were trapped. And then there's the ramp leading up to where Barbara Hutchins said the infirmary was. And judging by the maps Pops had, that ramp goes up a little ways into a, a large chamber where, uh, where some facilities were built. And then uh, another angled tunnel goes up to one of the first chambers that was uh dug in not too deep from the surface and then it continues up and actually connects with the uh the surface after that and that that way is clear so far it's hard for you to say for sure unless you want to continue uh going up that ramp up into like the infirmary facilities and whatnot uh, at least to the mid-tier where you're standing, you know that it's clear. You don't know if it's clear at the uh, surface level inside the uh, mining building. Well, I guess I'll start heading up more. i let everyone know that at least it's clear at the mid-level. Okay, so you continue up the ramp. You go for a little ways longer, and you eventually enter a very dimly lit chamber uh, with a few tents and a couple structures in it. And the tents are are moth-eaten and and drab, and the facilities are uh, look abandoned here. I'm going to overextend myself to detect life at long range. Okay, so um, uh, do you have any shine left? I do not. Uh, okay, so when overextending, you replace shine with your hit points in order to pay the cost of an insight power um, because you have the talent, no limits uh, that cost is slightly reduced, but doing it at long range is still going to hurt you quite a bit. You're going to have to pay five hit points to overextend and use this insight power. You do not have the shine for. All right. Four successes. So four hits means you get a detailed description of the life forms around you, their names, if they have any, their direction, and roughly how far away they are. And this will be a long-lasting effect that will last a handful of hours. As you kind of enter this decrepit chamber, and you sit there for a second, kind of pondering moving up to the next chamber uh, and closer to the surface, and you decide it's worth it, and your, your pupils warm up with that golden glow, and like you can feel yourself digging deep as you as you're trying to like channel luminescence through your body and you've pretty much depleted yourself completely but there's still that little spark there and you focused inward in on that little spark of luminescence in you and you fan that energy and uh that little dim glow of light in your eyes shines out and your body is racked with pain as as l- golden light flows through all of your veins and across your nervous system, uh, lighting you up uh, on fire uh, internally as you drop to one knee and uh, stifle a shout as you force your consciousness outward to sense the life forms around you. And as the pain kind of dulls and um, the ache kind of levels out, you reach out and you know it worked and you don't yet detect anything within long range. So you're judging by the map pops head. You're very, very confident that you can move into the next chamber without, uh, without like being a shot from above or anything like that. All right. I do so. And, uh, that one has, uh, ladders leading up to, uh, platforms and scaffolding, uh, that 
look kind of close to how the Mikano chamber looked. It's fortified enough that you're not completely afraid of it just crumbling as you climb up, but it definitely has that air of disuse. And as you start making your way cautiously up that terrain, uh, you get about halfway up that chamber and you start to detect life forms above you. How far can you give me a detailed description of these life forms? <laughs> yes. Also, if they have names. Uh, you detect five life forms. They all have names. They are all humans. There's two female, three male. And you don't recognize any of the names save for one. You recognize the name of Barbara Hutchins, who is up there. Now, is this uh, on the surface or? Uh, you would, yeah. Judging by the distance, you can sense them. Uh, you're pretty sure like you, you would get to the top of this chamber, go up a little ways. And, uh, and then there's like a, a large door there that you, that you would use to enter the mining building and judging from the distance you sense them at and your recollection of the layout of that facility uh they're kind of positioned in a way that they probably have eyes on that door and the elevator exit i relay this information to my crew looks like they're waiting for us up top no matter where we go well we can at least take the elevator up to the mid-level we could also take advantage of their split attention perhaps if the elevator's coming up They'll be focused on it. We can surprise them before the elevator reaches the top. With a bunch of squonks, perhaps? That would be pretty. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, I'll make my way down, and I'll go find my, my squonk army. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it takes Clayton a little while to make his way down. He just climbed up a zigzagging uh, series of chambers and ravines uh, up 400 feet. <laughs> So uh, as he's making his way down, is anyone uh, uh, getting into anything? The, the prisoners uh, now feeling a little better after being treated by Cyrus um, are conversing with each other. Um, and uh, Eliza is doing her best to like give, uh, give the shoes of the guards that fit on, uh, on any of the prisoners that can wear them uh, and any like backup like clothing or jumpers or anything to help because they're basically in rags. She's trying to tend to them to the best of her abilities. I'll uh, join those who are going through the the food supplies, and I'll uh, I'll begin to make everyone a, a nice kettle of black coffee, just uh, something to warm you up and get you ready for the for the upcoming battle. I think it's time to focus, and I will uh, begin to ritualistically clean my guns. I guess I'm sitting down with pops. We'll enjoy a nice cuppa. Give me one of those cups, Doctor Finch. I'll, I'll I'll pour you a cup. Thank you very much, Father. I, I know I've learned by now I know better than to interrupt Juliet while she's cleaning her guns. I'm sure you have. Something's worrying me, Dr. Finch. There's a lot. There's a lot to be worried about. What in particular? This death toll. These bodies keep stacking up around us, and uh, I don't know how to get it back down. It doesn't feel right to me. I know these people aren't good. In fact, most of them are probably outright evil, but... Being a part of uh, this much death, I'm starting to feel like a banker borrowing against himself. That's rough, Pops. I gotta tell you, I wish I had some kind of comforting scripture to quote at this point. But the, uh, the only text I know is the written and rewritten history of the family. And that's that this death toll is gonna keep counting until we can stop O'Malley. It's obvious that he's willing to sacrifice anything and everything for... A little bit of luminescence. 
the Verities say righteousness should be tempered by logic, and where is the logic in this situation? Hey, Pops, you remember the parable of the chicken farmer, right? It seems familiar to me. I might have uh, dropped some of the specifics. Uh... Well, in that book you gave me, uh, Alana tells the story of a chicken farmer who had a coop full of chickens, and he would, he loved his chickens, and he'd feed them, and in return they'd they'd give him eggs, and that's how he made his living. Well, one night, an axe-handle hound started getting into his coop and running off with his chickens and killing them. And he tried everything he could to peacefully keep that axe-handle hound from killing his chickens. He put up an even bigger fence around his coop. The dog would just burrow under it. And finally, he uh, waited until the hound came at night, and he shot the hound. He didn't feel great about it, but he had to do it in order to protect his chickens. And like Alana says, sometimes the taking of one life can save many others. Well, Mr. Swire, it seems you've been picking up a thing or two from the from the Verities. We gotta take care of these axe-handle hounds before they start doing more bad shit to chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Think you got the right of it, Clayton. Hey, Pops, for what it's worth... I bet your son would be proud of you. Well, I can only hope he would be. I've been angry at the at the family for a long time. On a sadistic level, I, I've enjoyed watching every single one of them die. But as a minister, I know it isn't right. And I can't help but think, how many axe-handle hounds are we going to have to kill just to justify the saving of our chickens? Families hurt a lot of people, Padre. What we've done is not even close to what they've done. But if we cut off the head of the pack, wouldn't our axe-handle hounds disperse? We don't have to kill all of the underlings, do we? Let me tell you something about the family. It thrives on hierarchy. Nature abhors a vacuum, as they say. You cut off the head, grows another one. People like the family, they don't take kindly to the chickens rising up in self-defense, you know? Something like that, that's an affront to their power. Every time you remove a family member, that's just justification for their continued revenge. If they thrive on the cycle of violence. Sometimes, when you got an infestation, got to clear it out. And teaching the chickens how to shoot might help. <laughs> well, I don't feel good about it, but I certainly feel better. It's something to think about at the very least. All right, and Clayton, you make your way back into the uh into this main chamber where everyone is uh recovering all all told the trip up to the top and back down is was probably about an hour and just as clayton enters the chamber um juliet finishes putting her her guns back together having fully cleaned them hey doc before i start wrangling squonks uh i might have overdid it a little bit mind helping me out he doesn't oh. look great. He's got dark bags under his eyes, almost almost like he's been punched in the eyes. Slight, like he has like bruising under his eyes. He's got like a little bit of dried blood at the end of his nose. Oh boy, that looks uh, supernatural. I'll see if I can mix you up a cocktail, and I'll uh, see if my med kit has the requisite remedies. Uh, go ahead and roll first aid. I've got three hits here, which is nine. That'll heal up nine hit points. I'm great. Uh, so uh, 
he shines a light in your eye, adjusts some settings on his uh, med kit, and then like like pressing a staple gun almost against your neck, he presses a button on his med kit and like uh and it kind of like air bursts medication into like the back of your neck. You like kind of sit there for a second, your eyes kind of reflexively like closing, and you're kind of take a shuddered breath for a moment, and then uh that like kind of lingering burning sensation uh around around like your nervous system kind of dulls and and whatever medication he gives you kind of uh sets you back right uh where you're no longer feeling that like aching uh pain of overextending yourself thanks doc i give him a clap on the shoulder and i start rounding up squonks some of the, some of the captives watch you see uh, uh that renzo jimmy uh she's like leaning against uh the wall just amusedly watching as Clayton uh, approaches the squonks and they immediately go and like run back uh, into the corner. And then like Clayton, you kind of like move around the corner slowly, maybe with some jerky in hand uh, and go ahead and roll a wrangle test. That is three successes. I have uh, 11 high. And you're up against a six. That is two net successes. Okay. So uh, it is a little comical watching as Clayton kind of like lays down some food at the uh, corner in front of the uh, elevator and like moves to press himself against the opposite wall so that the squonks kind of move in towards that corner. And then he like gets around behind them. And uh, as they all like finish like eating the the jerky he sprinkled down there, they turn to like duck back into that corner. But now Clayton's standing there and they're all like, "Ah!" And turn and scurry, uh, and then they see all of you kind of standing down the tunnel, like, into that chamber, like, watching, and they go, ah! and then they look both ways, and then uh, the only place for them to go is into the elevator, and they kind of run in there for a minute and look around, uh, uh, confused, press themselves up into the corner of the elevator, like, looking up and around. A couple of them try to climb up the, uh, the grating on the side of the elevator, but they don't really have the arm or leg strength to climb, so they just kind of, like, fall down on their side and roll back up onto their feet. I throw a few more pieces of jerky and and I close the door. Uh, we might need someone in the mid to get the elevator up there uh, once we're in position. Yeah. So if you if you want to go up to the mid with the squonks so that they're supervised, uh, we can ferry everybody up to the to the mid level, uh, and then. Um, We'll get in position and we'll, yeah, we'll leave maybe one volunteer behind to send the squonks up when we're ready. Does that sound good? That sounds good. And I, I have a feeling there will be more than uh, one or two who are, who are unable to fight, at least in the case of those who have been working down here for a long while. Yeah, uh, the the captives kind of look around each other and uh, Tristan Holt shoulders the rifle he picked up and says, I'm game to fight. And uh, the Renzo Jimmy finishes flicking some dirt out from uh, from under her nail. And she goes, you wouldn't be able to stop me if you wanted. And then uh, the rest of them kind of look at each other a little bit. And a couple more who had who had picked up guns kind of like move to like stand behind Tristan. And then the rest pull off to the side, uh, showing that like uh, they either don't have the skills or the uh, uh, capacity at the moment. All right. Let's get to work then. All right. So. Pops, Clayton, Juliet, and Eliza uh, start moving the the captives up the uh, scaffolding in the adjacent chamber all the way up towards the mid-tier while Clayton waits below uh, with the squonks in the elevator. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, you kind of just like shut the gate and you're standing there and all six squonks are just kind of standing there in the corner all looking up at you with big, round, black, beady eyes. I just look back at him. <laughs> it, it, it takes you guys about like 20, 30 minutes to like get everybody up without having to like rush them and, and risk like fatiguing them any more than they already are. Uh, and that whole time, Clayton's just kind of standing there watching the squonks and the squonks are kind of just standing there watching Clayton. And uh, eventually with your assistance... Everyone makes their way up to the mid-tier, and Clayton, you can uh, uh, undo what uh, Cyrus did to uh, disable the elevator and lift it up to the mid-tier, if you like. I do so. The elevator ends, and uh, Clayton carefully makes his way out without letting the squonks run out and get lost on the mid-level of this mine. (laughs) All right. Now, y'all stay put, and I close the door. (laughs) I'm going to say over my mind... I'm going to find someone to add to our little link we got going on here. Someone that's not fighting. So we can let them know when to release the squonks. Cyrus gives a thumbs up, looks at his hand, and sends a mental image of that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go talk to the captives. Okay, so they're all kind of huddled there. um, A couple of them whispering to each other. Um... Uh, they, they seem comfortable, like staying nearby Tristan and that Renzo, Jimmy and the other two captives who are armed and, uh, all like basically all 18 of them look to you when you walk up. I'm looking for someone who's healthy enough to work an elevator, but isn't going to join our little ambush. Any takers? A a woman, uh, in like her mid forties speaks up saying, do we have to be in the elevator with those things? No, no, you just got to send it up to the top uh, once we give you a signal. And she sits there and goes and nods a little bit and goes, yeah, yeah, I, I can do that. All right. Uh, and everyone else, let's get ready. Uh, what's your name, ma'am? Stella. Stella Carver. Uh, it's actually the woman who Eliza uh, pointed out as being someone she recognized some, from her childhood that she thought had uh, completed her, co- her indentured contract. All right, Stella. I don't know how familiar you are with this, but uh, this is going to be a little weird at first. And uh, I, I let her into our telepathy link. All right. Can, can you hear me, Miss Stella? Your eyes kind of flash yellow for a second. The captives all kind of like move back uh, a little bit, not expecting that strange sight. And Stella, like her eyebrows raise and her eyes go wide as she hears her, your voice in her head. And she goes, and she says out loud, oh, uh, yes, but you're my- Oh. Yeah, I get that a lot. Uh, I say out loud. And she nods a little bit, starting to comprehend exactly, kind of sizing you up a little bit. And then she separates herself from the rest of the group and moves up towards the elevator. As uh, as Tristan and Jimmy turn back to the group and give like tentative, like, we'll be back, goodbye, kind of thing. You know, they have a, uh, a, brief, a brief moment of like hushed conversation before uh, they come to join the rest of you standing nearby the elevator. All right, let's move up. Before we do, I want to be crystal clear, uh, looking specifically at those who are fighting alongside us that are not part of our uh, original group. Many of the people up there are bad people, but not all of them are. There are civilians, and I will not hesitate to turn on you should you harm someone that you shouldn't. And I want you to understand that. 
they they all kind of look at each other, seeing if one of them's gonna say something back. And Tristan speaks up, saying, "Seems fair to me." Keep in mind, this won't be the last fight. Now, you don't have to join us for the rest of us, but once we're out of here, we've got to secure the town. And uh, because of this, and uh, Pops holds up uh, a piece of ore that has a, a good amount of luminescence glittering through it that he took from the cart from uh, from the lower level. Because of this, it'll be a very difficult battle. The O'Malley's will want to protect this with everything that they have, but this here belongs to the town. If we can get it back to them, that's our end goal. And 10% to me. (laughs) (laughs) And 10% to Dr. Finch. Eliza can't help but crack a smile at that. Are we ready? Uh, They all nod, and Eliza steps up, raising Roy's hand crossbow. Ready. All right. Uh, Clayton will lead the way up to the other entrance. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, you guys uh, make your way up into the um, abandoned infirmary chamber. And then the the chamber after that, going up the kind of rickety scaffolding, there's quite a few of you. There's the four of you, and then Eliza, and then four more capt- uh, armed captives. And, uh, you know, it's rickety scaffolding in a completely empty chamber, and uh, you're kind of coordinating. So uh, let's let's go ahead and have everyone roll a sneak test and see uh, if, any, if any noise uh, bleeds into the facility above. Uh, you guys are up against a nine. I have three net hits. Two net hits for Paps. Zero net hits. I got the eight and the ten that I can't count. <laughs> uh, three net hits. So uh, your group starts making its way up slowly, as, as quietly as they can. And as you're kind of getting up to the top of that like scaffolding and close to the uh, sloped tunnel that leads to the door uh, that you're going to burst out of um uh, around around that area there's a point where cyrus you're you're kind of in like the middle of the pack and someone stepping above you like their footstep like dislodges some some grit and dust that falls down into your into your face and eyes and you blink it away a little bit and then you sit there for a second and you make eye contact with Juliet beside you as your nostrils kind of flare and your head starts to pull back a little bit and, <laughs> and Juliet, you watch. No, 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 <laughs> You watch like in slow motion as Cyrus tries his best to stifle a sneeze. Um, sorry. <laughs> How close are we? You guys still have like one level to climb on the scaffolding before you get onto that walkway up to the door. It's hard to say whether or not anyone on the other side noticed or was able to truly identify what what that noise was if they did notice it. Uh, but you do know a noise was made. You do detect a little bit of movement. Uh, you guys kind of freeze there for a minute and reaching out with your senses, you still sense the five uh, people up there, including Barbara Hutchins. And they're all kind of stationary for a moment as you're all kind of frozen and everyone's staring at Cyrus, who's like clutching his nose. And then Clayton one of the five people begins to move and they're getting closer. I send out that message to get the elevator going. There's like a brief moment, a pause, and then you hear, no, I did it. I did it. I did it as soon as you said it, but I couldn't figure out how to tell you. And uh, uh, you can actually kind of hear after Stella uh, messages you that you can kind of hear the rumbling sound of the elevator and that um, that person who was uh, approaching uh, stops 
before they get to the uh, door above you guys. We don't have much time, though. We need to move. Yeah, we should start getting a position now. Okay, so you guys start finishing up, uh, finishing your way up the scaffolding and into that uh, hallway, uh, trying to time your approach to the door with the uh, with the duration of the elevator lift. That's exactly right. Uh, as you guys get a little closer to the door, uh, Clayton, that one person who was approaching you guys, does move kind of laterally to where you are. They're now positioned outside the door just to the side a little bit they're in an ambush position for us right and uh you guys kind of get there up nearby the door you hear hushed voices hard to catch exactly what they're saying uh, especially over the din of the of the elevator which is loud especially at this ground level where the engine that moves it is and you hear it getting closer and closer you hear a few guns cocking and uh then there's uh, a pause and then the gate slides open and you hear <laughs> and everyone and and a bunch of voices are going what the hell are those things what the fuck and then some guns now. start firing <laughs> go 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 uh, i'll turn the corner and uh put a couple in the chest of the person by that door uh yeah you burst through uh and you take a shot at that person uh to the door as Clayton knocks down the door and takes that shot. Uh, that person is in a position very distracted by the squonks. He was he was like kind of uh, against the the corner, like in case you tried to come through that door. But as you burst through, he you can see his gun was turned towards the direction of the elevator as weird screaming creatures came running out. Uh, you see all six squonks like running amidst uh, a gunfire, running, <laughs> uh, not sure where to go, uh, trying to find their way out, screaming and jumping as uh, as a couple people reactively shoot at the at the motion of them alone but you know they don't continue to fire on them because they don't know what they're they are they're all everyone's very confused you see kind of like amongst some of the machinery uh uh guards kind of in cover from the uh elevator one of which is like elevated up on some crates uh another one is barbara hutchins she's kind of uh uh in the central area of the formation uh behind some good cover and then there's two that are down uh on the ground level behind some cover and then there is the the gentleman in the corner that clayton is shooting at so clayton's shooting that guy what's everyone else doing i'm moving right on up to uh barbara and uh and i would like to say uh i'm sorry and then pull my trigger in her face (laughs) (laughs) go ahead and roll that (laughs) juliet uh, strides forward confidently confidently with long steps uh closing the gap on barbara Clayton rounds the corner, firing on the person there. Uh, Tristan and the Renzo Jimmy and the other two captives kind of rush to like positions of cover, firing at the two guards on the ground and the one guard uh, up and behind some cover. Uh, Cyrus and Pops, what do the two of you do? Uh, Personally, I think I'm bringing up the rear, just yelling, surrender, surrender. We have you surrounded. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, go ahead and roll a manipulate. We'll put it at a minus four. And Pops? Uh, Pops will follow the cap- captives, making sure they are uh, well protected, as I know they're not quite as used to fighting as some of the rest of our group. All right, Pops, shield up in hand, uh, uh, ready to react if need be. Clayton, uh, w- you're up against a nine for your shot. Uh, three net successes, 18 damage, uh, four piercing. All right, Clayton, you round on this guy. You pull the trigger. Uh, he gets shot. It's kind of close range for your rifle, so you can't get a, a, a 
a really clean shot on him. You kind of shoot him in the hip and the leg, uh, hurting him uh, badly and like pushes up against the wall, like shouting, but he's not dead. Juliet, uh, as Clayton takes a shot, uh, the other two or the other four captives run out and start firing. You stride confidently through the battlefield, stepping up uh, on a crate to look Barbara in the eye from uh, in her position of cover. Uh, and you say, I'm sorry, and level the uh, uh, pistol and pull the trigger. And Barbara is so surprised she only rolled a two. I have a 13 hat and that is uh, three net hits and that is 24 damage. No Pearson. So you level the gun at her. She doesn't even have a time to swing her gun around as it's turned towards some of the squonks. She just has that brief moment where she makes eye contact with you. And then your, the hammer of your gun comes down, letting a, a, the roar of the hard caliber pistol sound out. And she goes flying back dead. Pops, the captives are the front line, it turns out. And they do get fired upon. Uh, so I'm going to need you to roll um, three deflect tests. Uh, 11 high on the first one. All right, that was up against a 9. Next one, you're up against a 10. Uh, That's a 14 high. And the final one, you're up against a 12. Uh, No hits on that one. All right, so you rush out, bringing your shield to bear, blocking for Tristan Holt and one of the other captives. And then you see uh, the Renzo Jimmy kind of swinging out from behind her cover confidently. And you glance up and see the guard up amongst some of the crates, uh, lining a shot on her that she doesn't realize. And you rush forward and you realize you're not going to be able to uh, really like get your shield in the way. So you just kind of throw your body in the way. And uh, you will take 12 damage with four piercing. Uh, well, Miz, I don't have to follow your request to not give you final rights as long as you don't die. So this is one for you. <laughs> she she shouts as you get hit, thinking that uh, blood was drawn, but actually your armor soaks it all up just barely, and you drop down, and she drops down, like pulling you into uh, into the cover she was moving to. You say that to her, and she and, and she can't help but like uh, grin as you do, and she goes. Well, damn, Father, if I thought you were that stupid, I wouldn't have been so harsh. And then she uh, stands up and takes a shot at the at the guy who who shot you, and he goes down. And then Cyrus comes bursting out, <laughs> uh, shouting, "Surrender, surrender! We have you surrounded." What did you uh, What did you get, Cyrus? I got that classic four hits, six high. Well, Cyrus, you're up against the seven. <laughs> then I'll have to resort to my talent, wink in a prayer, to re-roll this failed social test. All right, you're still trying to beat a seven. Nope, I got that one hit three high now. Uh, so Cyrus, you run out shouting that. There's a brief moment where the where the combat pauses, and then one of the remaining guards says, "To hell with that!" Uh, and starts running uh, and shooting behind him as he tries to escape. All right, I will quick change my ammo to uh, shock darts, and I will shoot him as he runs away. Uh, so it's a quick action to load in the uh, the shock ammo and uh, another quick action to fire on him. His gunfire traces over the top of the uh, of some of the captives, but uh, misses them. Then the guy who's in the corner that Clayton has a gun on or has a beat on is going to take a shot at Clayton. And the other two guards on the ground are going to fire on Tristan Holt. Uh, and one of them uh, is going to have a, a decent shot. So if you're going to try and deflect for him, Pops, uh, you got to roll a deflect test. I will do so. And it looks like all of them are starting to try and like pull their way back and get out of the out of this fight with you, except for the one that's very literally cornered by Clayton. That's a 10 high for Pops. 
Okay. Uh, well, he rolled an eight pop, so you're good. Uh, Clayton, you're rolling up uh, against a nine. I got a ten. And Juliet, the number you're trying to beat is a seven. Okay, I got three hits. That's 24 damage, but shock. Okay, so um, uh, Clayton, you're able to dart out of the way. Pops, you jump up and throw a shield in front of uh, Tristan Holt, who kind of like flinches at the muzzle flare, thinking for uh, for a split second he was going to die. And then he stands up from his cover, shooting over your crouched uh, form, Pops, shooting down uh, the guy who was shooting at him. And then the Renzo Jimmy levels her gun firing uh at the second uh at the second guard there on the ground uh juliet you take a clean shot with your shock ammo knocking that one family member unconscious and the only remaining one is the one who is alive and cornered by clayton who is going to try and shove past you clayton and run away after he fails to shoot you oh i'll say oh i did my best and i'll pull out uh the shock dart gun that pops gave me and i'll try to get this guy who's running away from clayton go ahead and shoot uh, well, you're up against a seven. Ten shock damage. All right. Well, he was already pretty heavily wounded from Clayton. So as he tries to run, he pushes past Clayton after shooting at him, goes running, trips up on a on a, on a squonk that's running uh, along, <laughs> stumbles nearby you, Cyrus, and you shrug, pull out the shock gun. And uh, as he turns and like looks to the ground, kind of like do- uh, dodging around another squonk, you just like pelt him with, uh, with a couple shock darts and he jolts and falls down to the ground unconscious. With those two dropping down unconscious and the rest dead, it looks like you guys have taken the mining facility. Uh, there don't seem to be any other guards or anything like that. Uh, Juliet can see from her vantage point where where Barbara was positioned. Can someone open a door and let these squonks out? I got it. I'll s- start trying to herd them out the door into nature. Yeah, as soon as you open a door, they're like... <laughs> And they go running by you, uh, uh, almost in a line, and then scattering. You see, actually, see one run uh, to like the edge of like the slope and jump off of a rock towards a tree, and then just turn into a puddle and splash and uh, splash into the forest. <laughs> I shoot a mental message down to Stella, and I say, "Miss, I think it's safe for you to bring everyone up." There's another brief pause. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and I'll start going from body to body. Uh, uh, forming the sign of the triangle, saying just a couple of words, and I'll get to the one that Juliet shot, and I and I'll uh, say this one's just knocked out, Mrs. Hunt. I see you shot this man with some shark dart ammo. Uh, you wouldn't be showing some spiritual growth now, would you? Sorry to disappoint you, Padre. It ain't spiritual. It's tactical. I pull out my containment manacles and put it on him. <laughs> <laughs> now if that ain't logic and righteousness working together in tandem i don't know what is there's another one who's knocked out do we need him alive do we need him dead all right i'll go ahead and put him in normal handcuffs maybe we can get some information out of him all right uh both unconscious family members uh one in containment manacles and the other in handcuffs propped up against the uh against the wall the elevator uh uh reascends with a relatively cramped group of captives uh, with Stella Carver, uh, her hand on the uh, on the speed lever, uh, moving it to zero and sliding the gate open. And they they all kind of like cautiously make their way out. And then a couple of them run to greet Tristan and the Renzo Jimmy and or, and the other two combatants uh, to make sure that everyone's OK. And how's Eliza? 
Uh, she fired a couple shots and hit one of the guards in the leg with one of uh, the bolts. But uh, she's just kind of standing there looking at the two unconscious ones, looking at the the crowd kind of greeting each other, all the captives happy to be uh, finally on the surface, looking at the sun coming through the windows. And, uh, you know, she just seems kind of in her head at that moment. Well, let's see what these uh, folks know about how much alarm's been raised around here. Uh, one thing Clayton can see as he opens up the door for the squonks is that there's definitely commotion inside uh, in town down below. Uh, you see people kind of looking up. Uh, Clayton, you saw people trying to shield their eyes against the sun to like get a look at what was going on as uh, as probably the gunfire made its way down into town. We should probably get a move on. I load a handcuff guy onto containment manacle table mode guy. <laughs> All right, he turns on the containment manacles uh uh hover components and uh positions that captive horizontal like a floating table and then drapes the man in handcuffs over him where to up and out i think perhaps eliza would know where we could find uh, uh an ally or two within the city eliza sits there kind of shakes her head clear and goes possibly um there are a few shopkeeps who who know me by name from the times i've visited here I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, I know that we're fighting for their town and all, but one, we don't know who's allied with who. And, and and two, I don't really want to put people at risk that don't need it. They might choose to fight, but who knows what kind of fighters they are. We, we got a deputy here, so he can obviously handle himself, and everybody knows that Jimmy is uh, quite capable. But um, at the end of it all... I'd like there to be a town to be saved when we're done saving it. With that in mind, why don't we move toward the mayor's house? I mean, you're the lawful owner of this mine, Eliza. Maybe it's time to tell your uncle you're taking back what's yours. And maybe we can use that to flush out O'Malley. It's as good a plan as any. It's also filled with armed guards. I don't know about filled. How many did he say he was strong? 20? We've taken out a lot of them, I think. There are a few that you recognize from the house, uh, especially in this room. Well, let's go take your house back. She grips the, the crossbow and goes, Yes, it's time to set things right. Let's go. That a girl. She makes her way towards the, the mine e- uh, exit. Tristan says... Uh, if it's all the same to you, I'm going to ferry some of these folk down into into town and uh, see if I can get some of them uh, some help from the town folk here. Spread the word. There's a storm coming. This isn't the last. I can do that. And uh, one of the other armed craft- captives goes with him and the rest of them, whereas the Jimmy and the other armed captive follow you guys with Eliza. And Eliza bursts out of the... Uh, of the mine facility, walking down a path that connects it to the mayor's manor. Um, You can see there's like a hustle and bustle of activity in the town, people reacting as uh, these wounded looking, ragged, uh, malnourished captives are being uh, ferried down to the main strip of town while the rest of you start making your way towards the manor. Uh, As you kind of level out on that hill that the manor is on, you get a glimpse of red coming out of the forest. And Clayton, you look to the left and you see Sugar bounding up uh, the slope uh, to meet with you. Hey, baby girl. 
Come here. She almost tackles Clayton, missing him with her horns, but like shoving her forehead against his chest and like knocking him back a foot. <laughs> Missed you too. I'd say somebody was worried about you, Mr. Clayton. Oh, I was worried about her too. And Eliza cries out, Uncle Nate! Uncle Nate, you come out here right now. We might have some more business, sugar. And there's like a pause. Uh, the All the curtains are drawn in the house. And uh, Mayor Valancourt's voice rings out from one of the rooms. Elijah, I don't know what you think you're doing, but this is an outrage. You, you and those brigands you brought, lay your arms down and perhaps we can find a peaceful resolution to this. And uh, Eliza responds with, I'm done listening to your lies, uncle. I know what you've done to this town, to my family. You've been lying to me. Ever since I could understand words. And I ain't gonna sit here and listen to another lie. So you come out here right now and face me. You tell any guards you have in there to stand down. And then maybe I will consider allowing you to go on living. Clayton grabs his sniper rifle off his back and finds a good spot. All right there, Generalissimo. And I'll stand uh, beside... uh... Eliza. Pop stands somewhere in the middle of the group where he can easily uh, go left or right wherever is most needed. Just slightly shaking her head, Juliet walks up, recognizing vengeance when she sees it, and walks up behind Eliza and says, Now you take a deep breath. It don't matter how angry you are. When you pull that trigger, don't miss. And there's a pause there as you all kind of stand in the yard of the manor, looking up kind of scanning the windows for any kind of motion. And then one of the doors creaks open and Eliza kind of grips that hand crossbow a little tighter. And Nathaniel Valancourt is not the one who steps around the door. Clayton and Juliet, you recognize the face of Harry Walden, uh, which startles Eliza seeing the face of one of her captors for sure. He steps around a large sawed-off shotgun at his hip uh, and a rifle in his hand. And he comes around the corner uh, looking at the, uh, the lot of you. He has some heavier armor on and uh, he grins at you showing uh, gold tooth and he goes, the mayor ain't taking appointments at this time. Oh, he'll see us, Harry Walden, even if it means you have to meet your brother for us to do so. Uh, maybe he can pencil us in with lead. <laughs> Good job, honey. <laughs> Thanks. I, I, I'm pretty pretty proud of that one. I, I actually like killed his brother probably about a month and a half ago. So. Oh my god. Oh well, no. Yours is way worse. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Never. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yours is good. Yeah. I step back. <laughs> and of course, I will step out in front of Eliza. She looks as if she wants to stop you, but then she. Uh, acquiesces and uh, and kind of steps back to stand nearby uh, Cyrus. And actually, Cyrus, you feel her kind of reach out and like grab your shoulder nervously. I will like put my hand on her comfortingly and be like, lesson one. And Juliet, you are going to challenge uh, Harry Walden? If he isn't going to let us by. I have a 16 high. Harry has an eight high. That is two net hits. So you step out, uh, calmly putting your hand down nearby your better pair of guns, better than the pair of guns you killed uh, Harry Walden's brother with. 
and you look him dead in the eye and uh, he takes a couple strides to square uh, forward to square off against you, uh, slinging the rifle on his shoulder and dropping his hand nearby the sawed off shotgun. You look at him. He looks at you. A little breeze blows, uh, uh, ripples the grass between you. Eliza uh, sits there. He says to you, you kill my brother. This ain't a fair fight. Don't make me kill you too. He sits there looking at you again. A little sweat begins to bead on his forehead. Eliza's hand grips tighter on your elbow, Cyrus. And then Harry sits there and goes, You know, ain't much left of us after what you done. Wall and gang is only four men strong. Like I said, it ain't a fair fight. But it also ain't fair when you take a job and you aren't told all the details. Now whose fault is that, Harry? Whose fault indeed? Boys, bring them out. And uh, Harry Walden will concede to your challenge. (laughs) Which um, means you and I get to work together to decide what happens next. Uh, You will not kill Harry Walden. That is the the one thing he gets out of the concession. The, The quick draw will not happen. A fight will not happen. But you get a certain amount of narrative control over what precedes uh, him, his concession. So what do you think? Do they have control of the house? Is that what he meant by uh, bring him out? Uh, yeah. Uh, the house guard at that point was the remnants of the Walden gang. Uh, Harry Walden and three other members of the gang. So they'll bring out Mayor Valancourt. They will stand by us. If there's to be a, a reckoning between the family and us today, then they will leave here, go back to the Badlands. And if I ever hear any whisper of the Walden gang making trouble, I will come and I will end them. That ain't negotiable. Yeah, they they do that. They, they bring... Uh futilely struggling Nathaniel Valancourt out, um, his hands kind of tied with, uh, with what looks like uh, a curtain that was ripped from, from somewhere in the house or maybe a tablecloth. And, uh, they set him down. They kind of look at you and, and, uh, you know, Harry asks what now? And you tell him that. And he looks to the few, uh, left of his gang and he agrees and nods. Uh, at this point, a crowd is starting to form down the hill on the walkways. People are kind of trying to figure out exactly what's going on uh, as they see the mayor set down um, and what remains of his house guard kind of like standing back as Eliza Valancourt steps forward, looking at her uh, her uncle, looks to Juliet, and then down at the hand crossbow she's holding. And with a flick of the wrist, she drops it back into its collapsed mode and holsters it. And then slaps her uncle. <laughs> uh, not expecting it, he, f- he like kind of falls down, unable to like catch himself. And uh, the curtains of the house are now open, and some of the servants are moving out onto the yard watching this. And uh, Eliza, red in the face, looks up and uh, shouts, uh, shouts to, towards the house, um, Miriam? And uh, uh, the servant, Miriam, steps out from the, the crowd. Yes, Miss Valancourt? Does the trap door on the staircase to the painter's nook still have a lock? Yes, Miss Valancourt. Could you see to it that my uncle is placed there securely? 
I have business I need to attend to before I have the time to discuss him stepping down as the mayor of Constance Grove. There's a brief pause. The servants kind of look around each other. Uh, and, and, and Nathaniel Valancourt kind of like looks up and looks out to his servants. And he goes, don't you dare. Don't you even. You don't have the right to lay hands on me. You work for me, not her. Come here and unbind me. And Miriam uh, uh, steps forward almost a little sheepishly. And she looks down at uh, Nathaniel Valancourt and says, go to hell. And uh, uh, reaches down and, and picks him up and uh, a few more servants come. And he starts struggling against it. And uh, one of the one of the walling gang goes, yeah, we probably should have gagged him. And uh, <laughs> and, ra- and ties like a rope around his mouth so, to like silence his uh, uh, silence his words as he's berating his staff as they carry him into the manor. Eli- uh, Eliza sits there and turns to. The, the rest of you, and then looks past you to the crowd that it looks like it might be the entire town of Constance Grove, uh, kind of surrounding the hill, looking up at the manor where all of you are standing. All right, folks. Hi there. You don't know me. My name's Doc Cyrus. I'm here to maybe clear some things up for you. There's going to be some big changes around Constance Grove coming up. Uh, The first one is that uh, this town is probably going to be invaded by Peter O'Malley, the crime boss of the O'Malley crime family. Uh, So uh, everybody better get ready for that. What are you talking about? Who's this guy? Your mayor, or perhaps I should say ex-mayor, was in league with this crime family, and uh, one of his uh, vested interests, this mine here, uh, he's going to be coming for it relatively soon. I'm sure we'll have people around to brief you on more details, but uh, lock your doors tight, folks. And if anybody's here with a mind to fight against an invading force of criminals, we're happy for any support you can lend. My friends, you've been lied to, you've been subjugated, and you have been abused. There's a darker part to this operation, and I'll take the uh, little bit of old Lou out of my pocket, the luminescence, and uh, I'll show it to the crowd. This is what you're fighting for. You have had to struggle for absolutely no reason. Your friends and family, they have been forced to to work in, in awful conditions. Now, if we win this fight, the mine will be yours, along with all of the luminescence in it, and it seems to still be a pretty good vein. But if you're not here to fight, be safe. Lock yourself up, barricade yourself. And Eliza steps forward and says, <clears throat> Terrible things were done in the name of, uh, in the name of my family. And I, I hope to remedy this situation. Those that can should leave. Head south towards Amber Springs. I'll send an LRC ahead, of, uh, ahead and you will have your every need tended to. Those that do not have the means of travel or wish to stay and fight, I invite you into the, into the mayor's manor. It is the most secure, fortified building in Constance Grove and is, is your best option at safety. But I implore you, coordinate, leave town briefly, we will call you back. I will see to it that you do not lose your home. This mine has had a tragic and terrible history. And my uncle saw fit to continue to add more evil to it. I will not let this stand. I promise you. These men that are coming here, this Peter O'Malley, 
he will not withstand my judgment. Ooh, boy, politics sure is in your family's blood, isn't it? Sits there, the crowd kind of like taking what she said, and um, Cyrus and Pops, uh, I'd like you both to roll uh, manipulate as the two of you and Eliza try to coordinate and rally this town of confused and, frankly, frightened individuals. Uh, both my performer and first impression talents are in effect, I believe. They are. Four hits for Pops. Also four hits for Cyrus. There's a, a pause and then the crowd begins to move and break up and some people start going down conversing with each other and you see uh, Tristan Holt amongst the crowd uh, trying to explain details and people begin moving towards how uh, towards their homes a couple people start coming up uh, to speak with Eliza as she immediately steps forward to answer their questions and start coordinating with them and for a brief moment the four of you are just kind of standing there nearby each other as as the town is kind of whipped into motion I turn to Juliet and I, and I say, you know, how does this always seem to happen to us? Juliet smiles wryly, looks at her husband full in the face and says, if you haven't figured that out by now, you ain't paying attention, sweetie. <laughs> well, I got some bad news for you about me. Uh, and uh, Cyrus reaches into his pocket and he pulls out like a thin uh, metal LRC call sign, which he flips like a coin and catches a couple times. Uh, and he catches it in between his thumb and forefinger and holds it up and uh, shows to Juliet his uh, call sign, Doc Cyrus, and says, well, looks like I got a couple calls to make. I'll go with you. I have a few of my own. We do have a knack, don't we? We've got some. <laughs> Pops. Um, as Juliet and Cyrus start making their way towards the LRC, uh, you look to your uh, look to your side and you see a few paces away from you, uh, as if standing and waiting for your attention. Uh, that that Jimmy, the one who you jumped, uh, uh, who you jumped in front of a bullet for, uh, she's standing there still, um, and she seems to be like watching you, waiting. Uh, and like when you make eye contact with her, she like raises her eyes expectingly. Uh, I'll walk over to her and I'll say, I don't believe we were uh, formally introduced. Uh, Pops Mulligan. She sits there, nods, takes a breath and goes, Alejandra. Alejandra Padilla. Alejandra. Strong triptych name. She nods and goes, that's the name you need to send on to the afterlife in case something happens. I promise you, upon everything I believe, I will make that happen. But you had better not make it necessary. She grins and she goes... I've crossed uh, quite a few people. Peter O'Malley's the scariest. But I'm not walking away after what he done to me. I'm here, and I intend to walk away from this fight, Father. Just taking precautions, that's all. Well, just remember one thing, Alejandra. You're not alone. We work together here. And Clayton, as you're, uh, as you're um, sitting there having watched this whole scene, your arm kind of resting on sugar, or something moves on the corner of your eye, and you, you glance into the tree line, you see two dark, beady eyes looking out at you, and you hear a faint, distant little meep, and that's where we'll end our session. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions, all rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is affiliated with and specifically approved by Tommy Cotton. Manifest, the RPG, is property of Tommy Cotton. 
all rights reserved. For more information, go to www.manifesttherpg.com.